Our scripture reading is in the bulletin this morning, so you can turn with me there. Uh, We're touching on several places in the New Testament, and it's a little bit easier to hold them in front of you, and hopefully you can take this home and and use it further as well. So we're continuing our series on the subject of work and how we're to carry out our work under God who has made us for work, as we saw uh, in the past weeks. We're looking more directly at how we live Christ out in our work, as the title indicates, living in Christ and living for Christ in our work. So, beginning with Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Ephesians 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in those first two passages, doing good or doing good works, and now I want you to notice in Ephesians 6, how the doing good applies to our work itself. He's speaking to slaves on the lowest places in the society, doing the most menial work, and yet he talks about it being the will of God and uh, that it is the good that they do uh, for him. So, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And there's that phrase, whatever good anyone does, applying to work itself. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master, their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Then page 8, two passages that speak directly to work, and Paul addressing it in two different letters to the Thessalonians. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that is indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. And of, of another verse that uh, was left out, uh, probably me who sent it out, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and, and be dependent on no one. Okay, so 
that at the end of that, work with your hands, do your work faithfully. Why? So that you will walk properly before outsiders. That's the very reason to do it. And then you get a feel for how important work is uh, to Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any one of you. So Paul preached in the, morning, in the day and worked and made tents at night just so he wouldn't be dependent in any way, just as an example of faithful hard work. It was not because we do not have that right, that is, to be supported by our preaching, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Pretty straightforward. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Titus, on just the character we're to exhibit to all people, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Then, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And finally, from Colossians 3, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thus the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, give us grace that uh, all the more we will grow in our understanding of what you've made us to be and do as human beings uh, to work here on earth. Thank you, Lord, that we are your image and that we can exhibit you in everything that we do. Bless us to that end, we pray. Amen. Now, we've been talking about how we are the image of God and we're made to uh, rule the earth. And part of that is naming the animals as as, animals. Adam did in Genesis 1. Well, I have an example of early budding uh, kingship from my three-year-old granddaughter, okay? Early, barely three. So, first of all, this is how she exhibited uh, her exercise of justice uh, recently. She was at preschool, and apparently a, a rather large girl was bullying a rather small boy, okay? Little bitty tyke couldn't fend for himself, and she was taking something away from him and imposing her will. I'm going to take this away from you. You know, the little argument going on. Well, the teacher was, tries to let them work some of those things out by themselves, and certainly my little granddaughter Hudson worked it out. Um, and, and then the teacher reported this to my daughter. So, Suddenly, after this had gone on a little bit, Hudson just steps in between him and she says, I'll tell you what's going to happen. This belongs, he had it first and she said, took it away here. There you go. Okay. (laughs) Exercise dominion on the earth. Amen. Let's go home. (laughs) Then another really cute thing she did, uh, 
and this reminded me of naming of the animals, you know, where you're trying to figure out what the world is and describe it and name it and that kind of thing. Well, we all know the conch cell and, you know, the sound of the ocean. So she had gone to our bathroom. We have a little basket of shells, and there was a tiny shell, not big enough to make a sound, okay? There's no sound in this, but she knew what you're supposed to do. And so she comes into where we were eating. She says, I hear a fish. And her older sister, Lila, took it and said, and she's trying to play along. She said, oh, yeah, I hear it. It's going, bush, bush, bush. No, it's not. It's going. (gasps) I said, oh, is the fish breathing? Uh Uh-huh. Yes, yes. So in case you wonder, if you ever listen to a shell, it's a fish breathing. Uh, It's not the ocean. (laughs) But that's her little attempt, you see, at naming the animals, at figuring this out, what, what's there. And, and uh, I, just, I just love that little kingly effort on her part. Well, we, we're talking about this, and I want to introduce or, or review, have an introduction based on a review of where we've been so far. Uh, Genesis 1, as we saw, presents God as a royal worker. That is, God himself in making the world, he's presented as, as the one who is at work to do that. There's this recurring phrase there, there was evening and there was morning. And it's the common way you describe where someone goes home to work, they relax, they wake up the next day, and they go back to work. So purposely describing it in terms of a person's daily work. And in addition to that... It not only says that God spoke things to existence, but it says he made things and created things. These are the very words used to describe man's craftsmanship. And so God, this great king over his whole creation, is presented to us as the unlimited master craftsman and a boundless genius inventor right there in the first page of the Bible. And then, having presented him as this royal creator, maker, craftsman, it says three times to underscore its importance, let's make man in our image. So we're made in the image of this creator, craftsman. And so we, therefore, are royalty after the image of God's kingship, which means we're going to make things. We're going to create things in a way similar to God. We express our royal image in our work, in our work itself, because God is a God who works. And so that's why God tells the man and the woman that they must bring the whole earth under their care and oversight. As kings of the earth. Tim Keller writes this the word subdue there, sub, uh, subdue the earth and rule it. The word subdue indicates that though all God has made was good, it still was to a great degree undeveloped. Okay? So God left creation with deep, untapped potential for cultivation that people were to unlock through their labor. What a wonderful picture of this unlocked potential. And God herds man into it and says, 
Take it, subdue it, rule it, care for it, discover it. So we are made for work. So any kind of lawful job is given absolute dignity and worth because as you do it, you picture and represent God on earth. Your work is royalty in motion, right? Whether in the home, in school, in the workplace, you are royalty in motion. And as Brian said last week, work didn't come in after the fall. The fall greatly affected work, but there was work in paradise, okay? Shocking. And we believe there will be work in the new heavens and the new earth. Paradise, then, was a call to labor. The very first words to them, you're to labor, you're to subdue the earth and rule it. And so there's this great opportunity. It really was a release of man to do what he was made to do. It's kind of like letting a whippet out of its pen to run in a field or a golden eagle out so that he could soar. The whippet's made to run. The eagle's made to fly. We were made for work. We're so affected by the fall in our work and the difficulties of work, it's hard to really imagine that at times. We uh, had a husky for a few years, and if you put a neck collar on that husky and took him for a walk, you would hear this. Because uh, 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 uh. he's always pulling, always pulling. And even if you put a harness on him, it hardly, it didn't matter how fast you went, he wanted to go faster, so he'd feel the pull, feel the pull. And some have told me of, of uh, stories they've read of sled dogs, that when they come to gather a group of sled dogs to pull, every dog's just dying to pull the sled. And, and those that are left are just, just stricken that they're not taken. And you think, you mean you want to go pull a sled all day in the snow for 12 hours or however long? You really want to do that? Yeah, yeah. you know, that's the dog. He wants to do it. And that was more of what we were made to do and how we uh, wanted to work. So in the original paradise, that was Monday morning, pulling on the harness. We were like horses bursting out of the starting gate. We were always in the zone. We were losing ourselves in our work. We were saying again and again, wow, where did the time go? That was fantastic. Hard to imagine now. But that's what we were. We believe that's what he will finally restore in the last day. And of course, work was pleasure and rest was pleasure. The little mini Sabbaths each day, the evening and morning, and then the final Sabbath at the end of the week, those were just as wonderful, just as glorious for us. So everything was good as God had pronounced it in Genesis 1. So as we now talk about living uh, in Christ and living for Christ in our work, I want to lay out three important ways that we can do this. First, spirit-given character, okay? Second, wholehearted excellence. And then finally, all-important witness. So three words really to think about. Uh, Character, excellence, witness. Character, excellence, and witness. First, spirit-given character. And I pull this from Galatians on page 7 there, Galatians chapter 6. 
And here he says that we're to sow to the Spirit, and that's equated with, then, doing good in the next verse, okay, in that passage in Galatians 6. Now, if you saw the surrounding context of Galatians 6, earlier in chapter 5, he lists the famous fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. We're familiar with those. But these are the things that we're to live out. That sowing to the Spirit would be sowing this kind of character in the workplace so that we would manifest faithfulness more and more and goodness and kindness and patience with those around us and self-control when things don't go our way and people mistreat us. And he also talks about the things of the flesh in that uh, in that context, things like dissensions and divisions and outbursts of anger and uh, sexual sins and all of these things. And so we are to bring the very character of Christ into the workplace. That's why on the next page in Titus 3, verse 1, this important thing of speaking evil of no one. How about that in the workplace? To be gentle in all your dealings with people, even when they mess up, even when they cause you to mess up. And to show perfect courtesy toward every person, wherever you are, and no less the workplace. And in all of these, there's an association of your work being good works. Okay, We'll talk more about this in the next point, but certainly in this uh, basic point of showing this character, this really, we know now, we know all of us that this is necessary even to be successful in your job generally, right? And in some cases, even to hold your job. But our point is that this must come from our heart and we have resources in the Holy Spirit where we might exhibit in a wonderful, manifest way the grace and love of God in the workplace. So that whether you're in the home or school or the workplace, uh, you and I are to sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. And that's a way to think about your day. If you're at home with your kids, that I sow to the Spirit today that the fruit of the Spirit manifests itself. If I'm going to school, Lord, may the fruit of the Spirit manifest itself in me. If I'm going to work, oh, Lord, enable me so to the Spirit and not to the flesh in everything that I do today. So that's the first point, to, uh, that we have a Spirit-given character. But then secondly, in the Ephesians passage, you could summarize it by a wholehearted excellence. Again and again in this passage, there's this talk about rendering service from the heart, right? Wholeheartedly, you could translate it. And that means everything within us, with everything that you have. It it indicates zeal and eagerness. And in that way, Paul is commanding even these slaves to be restored to that creational eagerness and delight that we had in in our work. That's a huge challenge, but the challenge is to to throw yourself into your work in every way you can, to, to do the best job possible, to give it your full attention, 
to find ways to do it better, more efficiently, more completely, with better results. And so, a sincere heart, doing it from the heart, these, these underscore that need for a wholehearted excellence in what we do. And then, in the wholehearted excellence is enabled by seeing the context or realizing my relationship with Christ in the midst of it. Notice he says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, that's the same phrase that he uses in Philippians 2 when he says, work out or grow. This basically means grow in your salvation with fear and trembling. So in what we term as a super spiritual area, you know, growing in your salvation, you do it with fear and trembling. In other words, out of awe and respect and reverence to God. Well, here he says the same thing in what you might call the secular world. You see, obeying your boss with the reverence and awe of God being your motivation. So it's all about the presence of God in your workplace. It's all about here, too, pleasing him and not just curring favor with my boss or doing it when he's looking. I worked in a, a drilling firm for a while, and the guy, that we had a top man and a guy down below. Later, I got to be the man below, but at this point, I was a top man. And about an hour before the end of work, the guy would let the seat down about halfway and just rock for the last hour. And he said, let me know if the boss comes, you know? <laughs> so that's not wholehearted work, obviously, right? <clears throat> From the heart, doing everything you can. So the idea is not just to please man or curry favor from a boss. It's to say the Lord is the one I'm working for. In fact, there's a phrase in the sister passage in Colossians 3 that says, you are serving the Lord Christ. So you see, every, everything you do in your work is a spiritual thing. It's in the presence of Christ. It's supposed to be for Christ, as this passage indicates. In fact, notice he says, as bondservants of Christ, think of the dignity that gives you. It doesn't matter what your job is. You're working for the president now, right? You're working for the king of the universe in doing your work. And you're to think of it in that way. Whatever it is, again, home, school, workplace. I am a daughter, a, a son of the king, and I'm rendering this work to my king I am his servant doing this. And notice how he puts it, doing the will of God from the heart. So my work, obeying what I'm supposed to do and fulfilling the different aspects of my work and trying to do it better, I'm doing the will of God when I do that. And that's why he can say later, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. People so often say unbiblical things like everything we do in the workplace just burns up, but everything you do for Jesus is going to last forever. I don't read that here. He says, whatever good you do in your work, slave, in obeying your master, it's, it's equated with good deeds, good work. So it's not as though you get off from work. And now there's the time finally at night or on the weekend to do some good. 
And so all the rest of your life, I mean, all of these hours that you spend working, eh, that doesn't count for good. That's not good. But now you have time to do some good. Everything's regarded as doing good because you're fulfilling God's will. And it actually makes a difference in judgment day. Now, the encouragement here is nothing will be lost. Nothing will be missed of the good that you do in your work. How many times have you done something at work and not been recognized for it? I know for you wives and mothers that never happens. Um, But you know how thankless any job can be and how a particular guy may have an idea that he submits to a leader and they act like they don't really care about it. And then suddenly later it comes out and they don't even recognize you for it. We see there's so many things like that in the workplace. And here God is saying, I will never, ever not take notice. I will always notice every good thing you do, and I will reward you. Yes, your work matters for eternity. It matters. So there is no secular kind of neutral leftover part of your life. All of this gets to be given up to him. In fact, this word good is the same word that's used in Galatians and Ephesians for doing good, okay? Any good anyone does, doing good or good works in Ephesians 2. So you're created his workmanship to do good in the workplace, okay? This is how you sow to the Spirit in the workplace, by seeking to do an excellent job. Thankfully, your life, the thing that you do most (laughs) during the week, matters. And it's spiritual. And it is involved in eternity. How encouraging is that? And you notice, too, that he, he addresses the, the masters after saying, whether you're a bondservant or free, you receive back from the Lord. So it doesn't matter your position. If you're uh, the leader of a business, you're part of a business, you're independent, whatever it is, you will receive back from the Lord. Then he addresses the masters that you must do the same to them. That is, you must show the same gracious character that I'm asking for the servants to show. And notice how he says, and you stop your threatening. Don't use force, you know, to, to terrify or to manipulate uh, those who are under you. And why? Because they have a master. He's your same master, but he's their master too. You are over these people that God has made. Some of them are believers. So uh, you can imagine here if you're sitting there, a master and the servant, and he tells you right in front of the servant and the whole church, stop your threatening. You know, <laughs> that, that was powerful uh, for fellow believers to be right there. And how this would completely transform the dynamic of a former master-servant relationship when both of them came to know Jesus Christ and both of them now are trying to live out the character of Christ with one another. Just transforming that relationship that could be so harsh, so difficult. So... We answer to that master because everything we do has to do with the Lord Jesus. Then thirdly, we need to see the all-important witness of our work. 
And there I read to you in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 12, that as he commands them to work with their hands, to do their work, he says, so that uh, you will be spoken well of by outsiders. You may walk properly, I'm sorry, before outsiders. It's also interesting that uh, in the list for elder qualifications, it says that elders must be well thought of by outsiders. And you'd think it's enough to say, well, we know you, we, we love you, you've been great at church, you know. But there's the recognition that, yeah, that's one thing. It's one thing when you're here and you're all spiritual and you're, you know, walking with the people of God. What are you like out there? How do you treat those people you work with? How do you treat the people that are under you, that work beside you? What's your language like? What's your grace and kindness like out there right in the middle of it? And if, you, if, if, if you're not well respected by them, you don't belong in this office. That's how important, you see, this is. And it really is a piece with that uh, word from Jesus in Matthew five sixteen, where he says, Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, it's the same thing, you see. Same emphasis. That you may walk properly before them, that you may have a good reputation so that you will. And this is interesting. He writes in Titus also to slaves and he says, adorn the doctrine of God. There it is. You're to adorn that doctrine, adorn that gospel in the workplace. How vital is that to our witness? What would the witness of the Christian church be if every believer was known to be lazy and irresponsible in the workplace? That would be the end of Christianity. It would be the end of missions. Ridiculous religion that ends up causing you to be lazy and irresponsible in the workplace. So this is an all-important witness So you don't have to think, now it doesn't exhaust your witness. And there are many other ways to bear witness with your neighbors and and sharing the gospel and all of these things, short-term mission, all of these things. But don't leave this out as though, well, this has nothing to do with mission. This has nothing to do with witness. There's not one part of your life that doesn't have to do with mission and witness because you're manifesting Christ in every part of your life. That's the dignity God has given you. That's why everything is spiritual. Everything has to do with Christ in that way. And be encouraged that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, says there in Ephesians 2, then he rose us, he he renewed us, raised us from the dead, and he made us his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good. And that includes work. So this is part of your salvation. It's not something you just go out and say, well, I've got to fix. No, Lord, rescue me from all that keeps me from living out Christ in the workplace. Rescue me and renew me by your Holy Spirit so that I will exhibit that character, so that I will do excellent work, so that I will bear witness for you. And we are encouraged that the, the, the greatest work that our God has ever done 
is that he came in the person of Jesus Christ. With all of his royal, kingly power, he laid it down to rescue us, to stand in our place and bear our punishment. There's the example for us. And that life is in us by the Spirit, and we in turn can live out that sacrificial love in every part of our lives, including the workplace by God's grace. Well, next week we're going to talk about the calling of work. We're going to talk about work in the consummation. and What does that have to do with what we do today? Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us continual, renewed vision of all that we are and all that we can be in Christ Jesus as you restore us in Christ to be what we were meant to be as human beings, cultivating this world, unlocking its treasures, doing the particular jobs that we have which contribute to uh, the good of mankind, the, the very ways that we love others through our work. And, Lord, that it brings glory and honor to the God who is himself a worker. Enable us, Lord, to live out our royal capacity as those made in your image. Amen.